Well, something else exciting that's happening is next service, we are going to be commissioning our new members of our church, and so that's going to be a very exciting moment in the next service. Um, so just so you know, you're missing that part. So go watch the live stream and, and, and celebrate with us as we uh, recognize and commission out into ministry those who are saying we want to align in membership with you. And again, uh, we have a membership class coming up soon too. If you want to consider or want just are ready to jump into membership, um, mark that down on that connection card as well at the end of the service. <clears throat> so we're jumping into a new series for the next four Sundays we're calling Simple. Um, I have here what should be literally one of the simplest card games in existence. The name literally means one. You'd think this is so simple, right? Because you just match the color to the color or the number to the number, right? It's not that simple. I will tell you why. Okay, I'm going to take a poll. Can, Can you, let's see here. Can you play a draw four on top of a draw four? I thought this was simple. This, you see, everybody thinks it's simple. and Everybody thinks they know the rules until you sit down together as a family. And then there's accusations of war crimes and things that they've done in the past. Okay, let me... Let me ask you, what about, what about stacking plus twos? Can you stack plus twos? Yes. That universally? Okay. Does someone who stacks a plus two on top of another plus two, did they have to draw a plus two or does it move to the next person? Okay. Oh. <laughs> okay, you don't have... You're down to your last few cards. You don't have a blue or a one. Do you have, you have to draw? And you don't get a blue or a one again. Do you have to keep drawing until you get one? Or a wild. Okay. So, so that's, that has actually the fun of Uno is watching the humiliation and, and just the tears start to roll down cheeks as you were down to like one or two cards and now you're like 15 cards. You're like, this is even numerically possible to have this many cards. That's a great point, a great moment in the game. Okay. Can you finish the game with an action card? If it's your last card? Any disagreeers there? Okay. See, it's, it's, okay. It's a simple game, but it's not that simple. We, we've complicated it. You'd think this should be the easiest card game. You know, you started as a child, but, but it's, it's like this complicated thing. And so, um, we're going to about to start this this series because we're going through the book of Galatians and actually we're starting our winter life groups little promo here um, in a couple weeks and we're going to be going through the book of Galatians in our life groups. Now this sermon series is actually going to be focused primarily on Galatians chapter five. I'm not going far beyond kind of the borders of Galatians chapter five, um, but this is cool because as a church community in all of our life groups across the board, we're going to be walking through the same study together. We're going to be growing together. We're going to be moving forward together in this. So I'm really excited about this movement we're going to be doing over the next four, uh, four Sundays, but also over the next eight weeks after that as a church going through, uh, through Galatians. You see, we just passed about four or five years ago, we just passed the 500 year anniversary of the Reformation. Um, Martin Luther was, of course, the kind of the, the main 
protagonist in the revolution. My kids think that I probably took algebra with Martin Luther. They think I'm that old. But um, the book of Galatians was actually Martin Luther's favorite book in the Bible. And uh, he, sa- he said, to it, as, uh, to it I am as it were in wedlock. He, he feels like he was practically married to the book of Galatians. And uh, uh, the, the reason for the, the Reformation, for those that aren't aware, and, and things like that, was the Catholic Church had created these numerous hurdles uh, to access Jesus, as it were, to access God for the gospel. Uh, it restricted accessibility to the Bible. It restricted accessibility to repentance, as it were, and to relationship with God. And so Martin Luther um, really headed this Reformation that went on where they got back to... We We need the Bible to be accessible. We need to to stop limiting people's access to truth. And so um, as we read the book of Galatians, I think you'll start to see some reasons why uh, it meant so much to Martin Luther. Um, The book of Galatians was Paul's response to a situation that had happened. The simplicity of following Jesus, the purity of the gospel had been hijacked. Um, Like all beautiful things, the gospel can be counterfeited and faked. You talk about, you know, the designer purses and jewelry and shoes and all the things out there that there's a whole market that's, that's the fake version of those. And, and how they, they rip those off in the same way with the gospel as with all beautiful things. It can be counterfeited and it can be faked. And we need to make sure we lay hold to the true gospel. And that's what Paul's emphasis is about. Galatians chapter 1 verses 6 through 7 is kind of going to give us this framework, alright? So if you have your Bibles, open them with me. Galatians 1 verses 6 through 7. Again, the Bible app on your Sunday links. Great resource. Last week I blew it, but it was New, Year, New Year's Eve, so I had a, a pass. But I didn't have the notes on the app. I was, I was uh, given a hard time by a couple of people. Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 7. I won't mention their names, but it was Rhonda. All right, I'm astonished. <laughs> I've got no chill today. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So Paul sees a situation in which people are being tricked into this different gospel. He said there isn't even really another good news, but they're taking the good news and they're distorting it and they're twisting it and they're confusing you. So this was a very frustrating situation that Paul was having because there was this group of people that were quite literally following him around. They were called the Judaizers. And they'd hear that Paul was holding a crusade in some town and that people were getting saved. And as soon as he'd leave, they'd come waltzing into town and say, you heard Paul's gospel. Well, we've got news for you. There's bonus material. You've got to, and they list off all these new laws, probably about 615 of them, a little more than that, of new laws they needed to follow, including some really painful ones. The, the main issue being circumcision. That if you want to be a follower of Jesus, you need to also basically be a Jew and follow the laws that God gave in the Old Testament too. And that meant males, no matter your age, you need to do this thing that was commanded of God for the Jewish people to do that set them apart as people who are following God. 
And so uh, they're following this around. And this, of course, was a very literally painful uh, thing for the, the new believers to do and also very confusing. And so Paul sees this going on. And it's really frustrating. In the book of Acts, it talks a little bit about this confrontation that was going on in Acts 15, verses 1 through 2. It says, while Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria, some men from Judea arrived and began to teach the believers, unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them, arguing vehemently. Finally, the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, accompanied by some local believers, to talk to the apostles and elders about this question. And so this became an issue that was brought to the, to the main church in Jerusalem. They talked about the problem. And, and so these Judaizers not only followed Paul to Antioch, but they followed him all the way up into Galatia. This is in modern-day Turkey. And uh, would follow him around telling people that they needed to, to do all these extra steps and laws. These, um, so they were making these non-Jewish people go through these painful medical procedures. And they were doing this because they believed to experience the salvation of Jesus, you must also take on the law that was passed down through Moses. So Paul sees this church in Galatia taking, these, the, taking on this extra teaching, and it's a, an extra requirement and weight that's got to be just uh, immense. And so he addresses this letter in response to them. And to explain his argument, he uses this story from the Old Testament. So this is where I'm picking up. Primarily, we're going to be in chapter 5, but we're starting in chapter 4. So flip forward a couple pages with me to Galatians chapter 4, verses 22 through 23. Paul says this, the scriptures say that Abraham had two sons, one from his slave wife and one from his freeborn wife. The son of the slave wife was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise, but the son of the freeborn wife was born as God's own fulfillment of his promise. So Abraham and Sarah's barren bodies were infused with the miracle of new life. It was something that could not come about by any natural means. In a minute, I'll explain how they were very old. But Paul uses this story as a springboard to explain his point. So here's the background of what Paul's talking about. Way back in Genesis chapter 15, God made a promise to this guy named Abraham. Abraham was going to be the father of nations. He was, he was the precursor to the Israelites, the Jewish nation. And so God comes to Abraham and he makes this promise. In chapter 15, verse 4, he says, You will have a son of your own who will be your heir. He's saying this in response to Abraham had had no children and he was, he was despondent. He had his belongings and all these things and he had no one to pass on his legacy to. And he said, God, I'm going to have to give all my things to my servants and their sons instead of having my own son. And God says, you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside. His name was Abram at this time and said to him, look up into the, into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. So Abram just trusts God. What's incredible about the story is Abram is 75 years old when God makes this promise to him. And God says, I'm going to make you a father of nations. It's going to be your heir. It's going to be your real son. That takes a lot of faith. You see, Abram's wife Sarai was no spring chicken either, okay? She... She was, uh, she, she was not of childbearing age. And so that's great faith to believe in the promise. But here's the deal. They didn't believe God. And nine months later, they had a bouncing baby boy. 
A year later, they didn't have a bouncing baby boy. Five years later, they didn't have a bouncing baby boy. Ten years later, they didn't have a bouncing baby boy. He was promised this at 75. I'd start to get concerned. Abraham started to get concerned. So ten years in, he and Sarah are having a conversation. And Sarah says, listen, I think I know what God means. I think you will be the father of a nation, but we need to help him out here a little bit. Here's my servant. You guys will kind of make a surrogate situation and have a child for us, and that will be our heir. And so 10 years into the promise, at 85 years old, Abram comes together with the servant of, of Sarai, or Sarah, and they have a son, and his name is Ishmael. And Ishmael would indeed go on to be the father of a nation, but not the son of promise that God had told Abraham about. This was something that came up of their flesh, something that came up of their own idea, their own, their own uh, solutions. And so Abraham and Sarah, 15 years after that, imagine that. You waited 10 years, you come up with your own plan. 15 years after that, God comes through, because God comes through on his promises, amen? God comes through with his promise, and Sarah becomes pregnant. And at 99 years old, Abraham has his son, Jacob. Or Isaac, I'm sorry, Isaac. And, and um, Isaac is born to them and it's a miracle, you see. But now there's two sons. There's one of the efforts of the flesh, of human effort, and there's one who's the child of God's miracle. And so this, our salvation, this miracle life, can only come through the powerful work of God is what, what uh, Paul is arguing here, right? Our own human effort can't bring it about. And, and there's this uh, gospel of human effort where we use our own ingenuity, where we use our own strength, where we think God needs someone to help him out here. He made a promise, but clearly he needs someone to kind of aid him in this. And then there's the gospel of God's miraculous power. His infusion of miracle power that we can't do on our own. You see, the gospel of human effort only produces human results. What Abraham and Sarah came up with was a human effort that came up with human results. And so Paul goes into great lengths to explain that the self-empowered approach, the law and the works don't bear any of the right fruit that we would want in our lives. What we try to produce in and of ourselves will never be enough. And so the gospel of works is tempting, though, because it gives us the power of our own fate and destiny. I like the idea of controlling my own fate and destiny. And so there's a natural tendency we want to skew towards, I will do it my own way, or I will do it by being a good enough person. Um, and so it's a very tempting direction. It's not saying we don't believe. Now, this is a really important point. It's not saying we don't believe that salvation comes from God. Or that, that, that he can do this, but, but it's actually saying it's upon me to earn it or to make it happen. I think Abraham and Sarah fully thought that this miracle was of God having Ishmael, but they were thinking this is of us needing to step in and help this out. In the same way, maybe like Sarah, you've been believing God's promise of new life and salvation, but you feel like it's on you to accomplish it. Let me tell you, God is far more able to accomplish his promises than we are. He is far more able to accomplish his, accomplish his promises than we are. I've got here uh, a power strip. I don't know. What do you guys call them? A plug bar? There's a, there's a variety of names. A space? That is not a space bar. I can tell you that. <laughs> okay. So imagine with me. You've got this in your office, okay? And you've got one your computer's plugged into, one your monitor, one your printer, one maybe your phone charger, you know, some things. But you've got one spot left. And you think, perfect. That's perfect. There we go. 
Infinite power. Right? Now, that, that, clearly this, this, this is a great illustration, Brent. I'll use this again. Okay. <laughs> this illustration shows what's, what it's like when we try to generate our own salvation. When we say, I can create my own power, I can create this miracle in and of myself. You see, I, I, we cannot create right standing with God in and of ourselves. We cannot create the, the power necessary to give ourselves salvation. You see, the good news is, though, it's not about us anymore. It's not about you anymore. It's not about me anymore. It's about Christ in you. It's about what Jesus does in us. It doesn't matter what background you come from. You can come from the most jacked up background, uh, you, you, or, or you could have Billy Graham as your dad. You could, you, could, uh, you could serve prison time, or you could say, um, Pastor Brent, I've had an abortion, or I, I was a straight-A student, or I was kicked out of school, or I was fired from my job, or I just got a big promotion. It doesn't matter who we are. God can work His promise out through you because it's not about you. It's about Jesus. It doesn't matter what your background is. Jesus is the answer. And the human effort doesn't just produce empty results. It actually can become something that's an obstacle to us. Sometimes we think, you know what, I can trust that Jesus will give me salvation, but it couldn't hurt to help out a little bit, just to make sure. And let me tell you, there's a difference. We talk about faith and works and things like that, and that can be a great theological debate. But let me tell you, the works will never get you to salvation. It will never supplement you towards salvation. It's a response to salvation. But when we think, you know what, if I'm just a good enough person, that might put me over the top. Let me tell you, it, it's, it will just produce empty results. It's something that actually became an obstacle in the Bible here. But Galatians chapter 4, verse 28 and 29. Moving on, it says, Paul says, And you, dear brothers and sisters, are children of the promise, just like Isaac. But you are now being persecuted by those who want you to keep the law, just as Ishmael, the child born by human effort, persecuted Isaac, the child born by the power of the Spirit. So the efforts we make, think about Abraham and Isaac having this child that was out of wedlock in a situation that was not of God's design. It actually became an obstacle in that plan of God. It became a point of contention in their family. It became a point of rivalry. It became a point of war. And it became something that was a, a serious problem. In the same way, when we try to balance our works and fully f putting our trust in God for our salvation, it will become an obstacle for us. It's interesting because the Muslim peoples around the world proudly point to Ishmael as their spiritual father. Did you know that? They point to Ishmael as their spiritual father. And within the Muslim religion, it's all about the works you can do to earn salvation, to appease Allah. It's, it's all about, um, it, and, and the truth is, no Muslim knows if they've earned salvation until judgment day. They do not live day to day with the confidence of knowing where salvation lies. Um, Muhammad himself, you can read his writings, said, I don't know what will happen to me on the day of judgment. Muhammad, the, the prophet they hold in the highest esteem, the highest regard, said, I don't know where I stand when I stand in judgment one day. You see, when we put our effort into works, when we put our effort into appeasing God and all those things, it actually becomes a stumbling block and a problem for us. So whether we're talking about the Judaizers in Paul's day or the Catholic Church during Martin Luther's day or even legalistic Christians today, Paul says we need to stand firm in the salvation we received from Christ. Stand firm. Verse 1 of chapter 5. For freedom... Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. 
He's talking about the slavery to the law. Stand firm. Stand firm is explicitly a military term he was using here. It means to hold your ground. There's going to be an onslaught that comes against you. He says, hold your ground. You see, our natural tendency is to skew towards legalism, as I said before. The, the rule following is the easy thing to do. It's the easy thing. We want to be able to latch onto the rule following. And, and again, I'm not talking about that we shouldn't be obedient people. But when we latch onto the rules are the salvation, that's where we lose our focus. We're like a car that's severely out of alignment. Have you ever driven a car that you're just battling it the whole way down the road? And you, it's just pulling, it's pulling and pulling. Let me tell you, it's like that. It requires constant attention on our part to not sway course off works, uh, to, off works onto works-based salvation, but we stay the course on faith and faith alone in Jesus. And as we put our faith in Jesus, he does a transformative work in us. He works in us. But look what Paul says about the value of legalistic law following this. In verse 6, he says, For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there's no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. I'm sure the people that had already been circumcised were like, Now you tell us, really? Thank you. <laughs> what is important is faith expressing itself in love. All that matters is faith working through love. When Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, he answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Or in this version, with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. Now, this is, this is kind of a, a weird paradox. I, I hadn't considered this till I heard someone else talking about this. This command... Can you command someone to love you? You will love me. I think that's in Aladdin. Isn't that in the movie where, you know, the, the genie says there's a few rules that you can't make wishes about and one is you can't force someone to love you? It's, it's impossible to, to, to coerce someone into loving you. But here God says you must love the Lord, your God. So this is paradoxical. You, can, you can't command someone to love you. If you only... So this is what we see here. If you only love God as judge... As the one where our works earn enough and we view him as judge, you cannot truly love him for the sake of love. That pit in your gut, when you're driving along and you see a police car come up behind you. Even if you're driving reasonable speed and using your signal and you've got new tags or whatever else. I don't know, I get that pit in my stomach just because I know that they are there to punish me if I do anything wrong, right? And so you, you just get that feeling in your gut. And so many people have been frustrated in their faith because their motivation has solely been on either the carrot of heaven or the stick of hell. And so the relationship with God is, is the judge of, of this is how I see him. And let me tell you, there will be a judgment. But when we see God exclusively through the lens of I need to be good enough so that I earn my salvation, it's going to let us down. And, and really, um, I'm going to tell you that, that when we fear God's judgment, it's only going to produce a surface level of obedience. But beneath that layer, is there, there's going to be a heart of resentment and frustration towards God. And I think this is what has, we've seen a lot of people walk away from God because their relationship with God has been built upon the foundation of I need to appease God, I need to obey the rules with God, and then when we fail that or we feel like, man, I just can't make things right with God or whatever else it is, that relationship crumbles because it's all a fear-based, judgment-based relationship with God. 
And so, so here we see what happens when we fall short, when we mess up. If we view God as the judge, what do we do? We run away. If I have someone I'm fearful of and I don't want them to know my mistakes, I run away. But when we see God as our Father who loves us, who sacrificed for us, we don't run away from Him, we run to Him. And uh, I hit my head as a kid. And uh, for some of you, are like, that explains so much. I get, okay. When, uh, when my sister and I were young, we were both, I was, I was in young grade school, and my sister was younger than that, so she's not at fault here as much. Uh, my dad was doing some excavating work in our backyard, and he had rented a tractor from a rental place, and it came on that big trailer, and we decided, the trailer is a pirate ship, this is awesome. And so we were playing pirates on the, on the, on the trailer, and it's got those big steel ramps that go down for it to, and we thought, pirate ships don't have ramps. And so, for some reason, putting the ramps up made it more of a pirate ship. And so we put the ramps up, and I was like, I'm going in the ocean now. And I was playing under the ramp, and one ramp started to fall. And we were big-brained, though. We thought, we don't want the ramps to fall. We'll tie them together. So we put a rope around it, and one ramp fell, and I thought, move out of the way. And so I moved out of the way, and because it was attached by the rope to the other one, wham, it came down on my head. And uh, that, that made me real dizzy. And immediately my first thought was, I shouldn't have been doing that. And so I said to Chelsea... Don't tell dad. And then I felt my head to make sure I was okay. And there was blood all over it. And I went, go get dad. And we went running into the backyard and blood's coming down my face. And you know, he, he, he didn't know what was going on, but they drove me to the hospital. I got stitched up and I am who I am today. And, uh, but let me tell you. There's times where we're fearful of going to our Father because we think we failed. But then when we really know, I need Dad, we know who to run to. We know who to run to. There's times where we stumble, where we fall, and we say, I need Dad. And when we view God as this Father, this Father who came for His children. And and let me tell you, no father creates love from his children by scaring them or making them afraid of them. And and let me tell you, there are times for correction and discipline as a father. But but a relationship that's that's right with a father is, is a relationship where you come to them when you're in need. When you've made a mistake, where you say, I need guidance, I need forgiveness, I need these things. And so our relationship with God flows out of a sonship, nothing else more than that. It flows out of sons and daughters of the Most High. The false gospel is about the activity we can do for God. The real gospel is about adoption. Galatians 4, 5. God sent him, his son, Jesus, to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt. Everybody say adopt. Adopt us as his very own children. I love that verse. I once heard a story about a kid being made fun of for being adopted. And uh, his response was pretty brilliant. He told the other kid, you know what? My parents got to pick me. They're just stuck with what they got with you. (laughs) God selected us. He chose us. He said, you are mine. You are mine. Here's the deal. God sent Jesus 
to receive the punishment, that stick that we're talking about, where we're, we're going, my relationship with God, am I just trying to avoid getting hit with the stick of hell, or am I trying to earn the carrot of heaven? Let me tell you, the stick was received by Jesus. Jesus came down and took the wrath of God that was for us because of our sin. He received it on himself so that we could be justified by grace. We don't have to fear the judgment because we are justified by grace. And we stand righteous before him. And he sees us as a child, a son, a daughter who is deeply loved. You don't have to fear God and feel like, man, I don't know, when I die, he's just waiting to tell me of all the wrong things I've done. I love you. But here's the deal. How many of us have been holding on to a fake gospel? Or one that looks so close to the real thing, but it's been tarnished by trying to earn something from God? trying to convince him that you're the right person for him. I'm just good enough. And so here's what I want to tell you. This is a matter of life and death. It really is. And if, if, if not any, anything else, maybe you put your life or your heart with Jesus, but you're still trying to do works things, it's at very least an abundant life and death type situation. If you're living your life where you're trying to earn God's approval, you will not experience abundant life. And so here's what I want to tell you. We need to actually know God as our personal Lord and Savior and as our Father, not just know about Him, not just appease Him. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 22, Jesus says, On judgment day, many are going to say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. At some point, we're going to stand before Jesus and we're going to say, Didn't we do such and such things? We did miracles. We did signs and wonders. We attended church every week. I gave to missions. I gave to kingdom builders. I stacked chairs. I brought gifts for the giving tree. I did all these things for you, Jesus. And he says, but I don't know you. Do you know him? Jesus met with a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a guy who would probably say, I, checked, I, I stacked all the chairs on Sundays. I was a guy that gave to all the giving trees and put in the offerings and did all these things. But he still felt something was mis- missing. And he snuck one night to meet with Jesus because he was afraid of judgment from people. And he said, what do I need to do to inherit the kingdom of God? And Jesus' reply was this. He says, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Humans can only reproduce human life. Can anybody say Abraham and Sarah there, huh? Humans can only reproduce human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. You need spiritual life today. You need to be made right with God. And that will relieve you from the strain of never being good enough for God. The truth is, none of us are. But it's Jesus that was. Let's put our hope in Him today. Can we bow our heads and close our eyes? The book of Romans chapter 5. It says, therefore, since we've been made right with God in his sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing in God's glory because of what Jesus has done. We can look forward to that day when we see our God face to face because the reality is Unless God tarries, we are all going to one day 
take that breath that's our last breath. And we're going to step to the other side of eternity and we're going to see our God face to face. But what Paul promises here is that when we step into eternity, we can be promised that we can confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing in his glory. Do you want to have that confidence today? It's through Jesus. It's through knowing Jesus. So with our heads bowed and our eyes closed today, it's simple. It's Jesus. It's simple. It's Jesus. The one who always was, the one who is, and the one who is to come, just like David told us about earlier today during worship. It's all about him. He never changes, and he's here right now. So if you say, Pastor Brent, hearing what you're saying and I want to respond to the good news of Jesus. I want to receive this life that you're talking about. I want to receive the hope of eternity. If that's you in this room, this is a very serious decision. This is not a light decision because it determines the trajectory of your life from this day forward. But if that's you and you say, Pastor Ben, I'm ready to make that decision. I want to give my life to Jesus. Will you raise your hand and raise it high? I want to pray with you. Thank you. I see that hand. Thank you. I see that hand and that hand. Thank you. Anybody else in that hand? Thank you. Yes. Thank you. And that hand there, thank you, I see that hand. Many who are responding to the good news of Jesus, let me tell you, many of those who didn't raise their hand have made this prayer themselves. There is no shame in this. There is joy in this. There's the joy of confidence of knowing where we stand with God and the freedom of knowing we are not locked up to the, 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 the right things and wrong things we do, balancing out somehow cosmically so that when we go to eternity we get to go to heaven because we did enough of one thing or the other we stand justified before god it starts with faith in jesus the bible tells us that we need to confess with our mouth that jesus is lord and believe that god raised him from the dead that's when we experience salvation but it's a confession of faith and if we truly believe it it changes the course of our life so right now i want us to pray a prayer together as a church body pray it out loud pray it with conviction let's thank god for what he's done and what he's going to do. Church, let's all say this together. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for rescuing me. I am no longer a slave in bondage to sin, in bondage to the law. I can't earn salvation. I can't appease you, but you came for me. You sent Jesus for me to take my sin. So I give you my heart. I believe that you died for me. I believe that you are resurrected and alive today. And you offer me life. So I receive it. I make you my king. I make you my God. From this day forward, I will serve you and you alone. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Right now. I celebrate with you and heaven celebrates with you. And what I ask is that we do this together. We're going to do our connection cards. So if you would, take out your uh, phones with me. um, Or if you prefer to do the paper ones, this is our time where we're all going to fill this out. If you would let us know if there's things you want to sign up for or let us know about. Let us know what we can be praying with you about. On that connection card in the comments section, we pray over every prayer request that comes in. We, we, at 6 a.m., our elders 
on Tuesday mornings, pray through this list. We send out a prayer list to our teams. We believe God for miracles, that God's going to do something. Let us know the answers to prayer God's been doing, what, what things have been working through your life in awesome ways. So go to nlcchurch.com slash connect. Lastly is this. If you gave your life to Jesus today, let us know on that. We have some, uh, some material we want to get in your hands that will help you along the path of what it means to follow Jesus. We will not bother you, harass you, show up at your door unannounced, anything like that. But we want to empower you to walk this life with Christ uh, victoriously. So let us know that you made that decision. We want to celebrate that and support you along your journey, okay? And we also want you to get signed up for a life group too. That would be a great way to get in community and to grow with us, all right? Well, as we close today, we're going to receive our morning tithes and offerings as we go. So ushers, if you'll prepare yourselves, church, if you'll prepare yourself to give, thank you for kicking off 2024 with your faithfulness in giving. Thanks for being in the house of God today. What a wonderful day in, in just serving Jesus. There's nothing better than serving Jesus. I'll just tell you, it's the best. So let's, uh, let's give thanks today. Let's glorify his name and uh, let's give. Lord, we thank you so much for what you are doing in the house. Thank you, God, for the miracles we've seen uh, happening both here and around our world and in stories that are being written even now, even today. We pray, God, that you would continue to write these stories. Change unlikely futures. God, change unlikely futures. The, the God of the impossible would make the, possible, the impossible happen, Lord. Bring it into the realm of, the, of being, Lord. We thank you, God, for these things. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's give this morning. Come on, let's stand as we give and sing. You call my name, and I ran out of that grave.